0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com
1: slash four keys and download your free copy. So there is a moment, there are moments as you're growing up where you're like having to think through what do you you think you want to be doing? But it's just, I mean, you know, I want to be a fireman. I want to go to the moon. I want to, you know... all kinds of things come out in that kind of dreaming state. But when it comes down to brass tacks, like, are you going to actually do this? Are you going to invest in your time and your energy, um, in doing this thing? That's a whole other matter because you don't see the path between here and there. And so not seeing the path means you don't know if it's worth it to you to spend that, that capital that you have on that effort. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this.
0: Yeah. Well, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of our mutual friend, Terry Gentilly, who uh, was a former guest here. And when she introduced us, I went and did some digging, and I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, you absolutely have to be a guest on our show. Uh, your work is so fascinating to me. So rather than give it away for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, how that has led you to all these amazing things that you're doing and this perspective that you have on storytelling?
1: yeah um so I'm a cartoonist primarily or I've always been a cartoonist primarily um, I also do a lot of other things but um, I've been making comics since I was in college and that's now a long time ago so <laughs> I have a lot of uh, a lot of comics under my belt and um, that encompasses a lot of things for me um I started off doing kind of very small quotidian um, you know very Sort of realistically drawn short stories, and then soon kind of moved into some doing some nonfiction, doing some reported stories, but you know short ones for the local newspaper called the New City in Chicago, and then back to fiction. I did graphic novel, and then um, started teaching comics, and and with my husband, who's also a cartoonist, Matt Madden, we we wrote two. really giant textbooks about making comics um, and wrote another graphic novel and working on another one. And um, there's this other thread that is really relevant here, um, which is that I've done now two books about uh, radio and, you know, its sibling um, podcasting Um, from the perspective of the narrative Narrative storytelling podcasts, meaning um, things in the model of *This American Life* and its inheritors. So, um, I did a book in um, 1999 with Ira Glass called *Radio and Illustrated Guide*. It's a very short, little um, magazine-style comic book about how *This American Life* made their show. It literally step by step: How do they go through? How do they get an idea? How do they vet those ideas? How do they report the stories? Write them. do the interviews, edit, do sound, and go on the air. I mean everything in thirty pages. Um, and that book was co-written with Ira, um, but I also found it really um, interesting and inspiring um, work to do myself because it was. It was the first time I encountered a really strategic approach to telling stories. So so this is 1999. I'd been making comics for about 10 years at that point. And making stories, constructing stories had always been just this enormous struggle for me. It had just been so difficult. Um, Just, I would have ideas for sort of an interesting character or a situation or something. I just would have no idea how to move forward from there. And for whatever reason, it just never occurred to me to go to the library and check out books on, I don't know, screenwriting or something. Like, there are books about this. You know, Aristotle wrote about this. Um, but I just never read those books. And never sort of, in, even though I was an English major in school, like never encountered any, any sort of structural work on how to make stories. And um, I had started kind of stabbing at it, um, not blindly, but almost, before I um, worked on this book with Ira, but once I worked with him, and he has this very specific way of thinking about how stories should be put together and what works. And certainly then, you know, now I think he's opened out in so many different ways. I and mean, the show is so different than it was in 99. But um, I found the, um, the structure really interesting. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but it totally set me on a path at that point of investigating more and learning more about how does one build stories? How does one go about building stories in a, in a strategic and um, uh, thoughtful way? You know, how, how can you, when you're stuck, like what kind of tools do you have that you can apply to the problem? You know, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of strategic thinking was something I just was renewed to me. So fast forward, I don't know, it was about 11, 12 years later, um, I went back to Ira to say, hey, you know, I'd really like to do an update on this book. It's a more complicated story than that, but kind of boring. Um, And he said, oh, sure, you know, another 10 pages. And I was like, no, I'm thinking like a book book, like a book. (laughs) He's kind of like, yeah, no, I, that was really hard the first time around and I'm busy, so I'm not going to do that. And, um, so we talked about it some more cause he thought, you know, it's not like it was a terrible idea, but he just couldn't see kind of getting involved at the level that he had been before. And, um, we talked about it and, um, the idea came out and I'm not sure if it was him or me or both, uh, really. To really take a look at what was happening in radio at the time. So, we're talking 2011, early 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, you know, by then, there's just this whole cadre of new shows that um, did essentially what we talked about in the end of Radio and Illustrated Guide, which is to take these basic tools, this basic structural approach, and um, run it through somebody else's creative mind, somebody else's view of the world, and come up with something completely different. And so we went to, um, I went to, I think, initially four other shows, and then it sort of expanded out a little bit from that to about seven different shows or producers, Um, and uh, went to talk to them about not specifically how do they make their show, because we'd already covered that in great detail in Radio and Illustrated Guide. Mm-hmm. And the process, the literal process, has not changed almost at all. You know, yes, the technology is updated, but the basic structure is the same. But what had changed, or what, I mean, had changed, it hasn't changed, this hasn't changed either, but what I didn't look into in the first place and came back to was this, uh, the underlying conceptual um structure of the storytelling. What, what do they think about when they're making stories? How did these great producers and I ended up talking to I have 35 different producers, um, how do they go about making their work? How do they go about choosing the stories? How do they think about pulling threads together? Uh, what's important? What makes it good? What makes it different? You know why is um, the moth as good, good as it is? You know, what did the, what do those directors do to pull those stories out of the people who perform? Um, how do they develop those stories? Um, why can 99% Invisible do, you know, an entire episode on concrete benches and we're gripped? Like what, what's their secret? And so that became a book that I, I, um, brought out last August called Out on the Wire, the storytelling secrets of the new masters of radio, um, and where I, I sort of broke it down into structural categories and, and compare and contrast all these producers' uh, approaches to their work. Um, and I feel like it's sort of the culmination of this. Uh, I mean, that, that sounds like I'm done. I'm not done. But <laughs> culmination of many years of thinking about how stories work.
0: Well, um, that raises lots of questions as, as you might imagine. Uh, you, one of the things I, I like to ask everybody is about their childhood and looking back at formative experiences, growing up mentors, parents, influences that ultimately led them down the path that they ended up choosing. Cause it seems like you figured out fairly early in your life that you were destined to do this thing.
1: Uh, I think that's strongly worded. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, my childhood. Well, I, I do know that I've always been um, major uh, obsessive about stories, reading stories initially, not making them. You know, I, don't, I didn't um, make comics as a, as a small child. I didn't um, write a lot of fiction. I didn't write poetry. You know, none of that stuff that a lot of people who become writers later did as teenagers. I did draw. Um, and I did do sort of some proto, you know, comics-like things. But it sort of just didn't occur to me to try to make comics um, or to write to write stories. I, I don't know why not. Um, but I did read voraciously and just uh, had a tendency when I was younger to just lose myself in stories to the point where, like, you know, I'd just walk around in a daze. You know, and in the shower, I'd be thinking about what was going to happen. And when I finished the book, it would take you know, days and days for it to, like, leave me, you know, as I'd just be obsessing about what what would happen to these characters after the story ended and, and so on. So that's probably a sign, I guess. Um, in terms of deciding to make comics, I feel like that's a complicated question because I don't know that I'm um, actually destined to make comics because I find the process of... Um, breaking down story into images and going through the, all the labor of putting, you know, actually making the, the pages, making the images, um, not particularly joyful often, you know, like I, I'm good at it. I know how to do it. And it's a, it's a skill that I have hard, you know, I've won through very hard labor and um, I'm, I'm glad I have it but it's some cartoonists just like some cartoonists sit around sketching in their sketchbooks all the time. Mm-hmm. Just drawing just flows out of them. It's just the way they live. Yeah. But for me, my creativity is like much more dispersed than that. I like to garden, you know, I like to build furniture. I like to, uh, you know, just write things. I like to talk to people. I like to, you know, teach. I like to speak. Um, and um I can feel like when I was working out on the wire, I was on very tight deadline, I felt very, very constrained by the process of having to, you know, once I had gone through, you know, a year of research and a year of writing, to spend another year taking what I'd already basically processed, mm-hmm. you know, um, in terms of the writing and make that into drawings it was just like, oh man, really? <laughs> you know? Which any cartoonist can identify with. There's always a point at which you're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I have another hundred pages to draw." Yeah. Uh, but you know, all that said, um, it's it's a complicated question. You know, it's not. I don't. I don't feel like I'm either destined or not destined for it. It's like it's what I chose to do, and I I threw myself into it early enough that um, it's it's you know, <laughs> let me just put it this way. When I watched the first um, season of True Detective, um, the one line that stuck with me from this whole thing was near the end, one of the last couple episodes, where um, Rust says, um, be careful what you get good at. Hmm. You know, we really only have time to get really good at one thing in our lives, so be careful what you get good at. And, um, and I, I think about that sometimes when I'm in the middle of a giant comics project.
0: Interesting. You think everybody has, uh, this one thing that they're able to get good at or capable of getting good at, like exceptional at in their lives?
1: No, actually that's what I'm saying is I feel like I could have gotten good at a lot of other things and I am pretty good at a lot of other things. Um, maybe not at the same level. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not known at the same level for a lot of other things, but you know, I realized at some point, um, when I was in my early twenties, like I'm really good at, uh, organization, like, I would have made an excellent um, movie producer, you know, or like a contractor, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody who has to do, um, you know, has to, has to strategically think about many different people's roles in, um, in a job. Uh, so like, that's a skill that is like completely not used when I'm making a comic book. Yeah. Um, you know on the other hand, what I'm doing right now, in terms of uh, you know sort of my new, new direction, new stuff I'm working on, new book I'm working on is this thing about um, creative productivity, like it's completely useful there where I'm helping other people figure out how to get their mm-hmm. creative work happening. so it's not that I'm never going to use it, and maybe so maybe that quote is um, a little too dire because <laughs> I, you know, I, I feel like I'm able to get good at a few things, maybe not only one. Yeah.
0: When you look back over um, your body of work, is there a thread or a theme that you think runs throughout the work? And uh, how do people find that in theirs and in their their work?
1: Well, you know, interestingly, um, there are a couple different points at which I've realized that the, I have themes, and they're very different themes that, you know... Like, the whole thing of, of investigating how stories work is a huge theme in my work that goes through, like, all my nonfiction. So it goes from... Um, from Radio and Illustrated Guide in '99, and then through teaching and developing materials to teach comics, because I taught for, I guess, uh, twelve years at the School of Visual Arts in New York, and I keep teaching. You know, I'm on, teaching online at the School, uh, California College of Arts, right now in their master's program. Um, so that teaching process is like a theme in teaching how to how to break down constructing stories. And, and figuring out how to convey that to students is, is a big thing. So then when we made our textbooks, drawing words and writing pictures and mastering comics, you know, that was a, an expression of that. And then, of course, out on the wire. So that's one big thing. But, you know, a completely different, unrelated theme was something I discovered really only through doing interviews, I think, or being interviewed, rather, um, when I was doing interviews about um, – probably about La Perdida, my uh, graphic novel, or maybe about Life Sucks, the, the one that I did the script for. Anyway, there there are two books. there. So La Perdida is a book about um, a woman named Carla Olivares who moves to Mexico City kind of on a whim. She has a, an estranged Mexican father, but she doesn't speak Spanish and doesn't know anything about Mexico. And she has these kind of really um, blinkered views about what um, what it means to be Mexican and and what she's going to find there and what kind of experience she's going to have, which causes incredible distortions in how she perceives people around her and, and how she thinks that they should approach, you know, how they should relate to her. And she misses this whole, um, part of the story, which is, uh, the power dynamic between Americans and Mexicans, um, that just exists and that you have to acknowledge and deal with to deal honestly um, especially when you're an American abroad in Mexico, and you know you're not talking about somebody of Mexican origin who's American, but you're talking about like, you know, I speak English, I have a passport, you know, whatever. Like those kinds of issues, she's just like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. Um, and then when I did this book, Life Sucks, which I co-wrote with Gabe Soria, and it's drawn by another person, um, Warren Please, That's a book about um, young vampires in love. <laughs> it's a romantic comedy about vampires set in L.A. But the whole um, premise of it is that this guy, uh, Dave, the main character, is a vampire who was created as a vampire by this old world master in order to be the night manager of the master's 24 hour convenience store. Because in our mythology of vampires, like whoever your master is, you literally have to obey, like physically, you have to obey them. So he's being forced to be a wage slave, essentially, um, by his master. And um, the, you know, the funny thing about this is that these two books have a lot in common in the sense that they both turn out to be about class. And this is, like, by looking at Life Sucks compared to La Prudita and, like, how did I go from one to the other and doing interviews and talking about those two books? It was like, oh, I have a basic theme that I'm writing about, which is class. You know, and then now my new book, my new nonfiction book, which is um, Trish Trash, Roll the Girl of Mars again, is about class. It's about a, bun- a class of basically indentured laborers who are stuck on Mars and, you know, are fighting back against the corporation. Why? <laughs> you know, I was not raised in a socialist household. It's like I've not been, I, you know, I'm not a red diaper baby. I don't know why this matters to me as much as it does, but clearly it does. Because when I look back through all this different work that I've done, the most passionate um, stories that I've written, the ones that are like have sustained me for years cause they take so long to do have had that at their core. Isn't that weird? Yeah.
0: So the thread, um, I, I've really wondered about this because it took me a really long time to even arrive at the conclusion of unmistakable. Um, probably the better part of four or five years before we're like, this is the message that we want to share with the world. I I'm wondering, you know, what that looks do you think it's something that you can only see in retrospect kind of like that whole Steve Jobs thing with the dots only connecting in reverse or do you think that you can figure it out while it's happening
1: I think you can guess at it while it's happening yeah um but i don't think you can really know until you've done a lot and then it's still happening i mean you're making this thing now right yeah. so it's not like you it's all done and you're looking back in retrospect you're still in the middle of it Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a long time. You know, if you'd asked me at 25 what I would be doing now, I certainly would not have guessed that I'm doing nonfiction about storytelling and fiction about class issues. <laughs> like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, who plans that? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> who, who, who thinks that kind of way, you know, ahead of time, like you have to find those threads in, in what, in what appears, you know, yeah. what comes out. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's, there's certain issues that draw us forward. And then, uh, you know, I, I feel like there, and I'm trying to think of there. I think of a really good example, but I feel like there's times when I've sort of staked out an area and been like, I want to do this. And then I start doing it and I can, I can functionally do it, but it never feels right. And then at some point I figure out, oh that's because i completely am not interested in this mm-hmm. you know it's just not a an activity i really want to get into it's, and you have to pay attention to that like you have to feel that in yourself yeah and when you're doing like the kind of work you do and the kind of work i do that's highly creative work and very very demanding uh, it's not about passion and about like getting up in the morning feeling joyful you know that's like that's a dream but it's not reality but it, it is about um, uh, expressing something central about your relationship with the world and feeling the satisfaction and, the, and some clarity around the thing that you want to talk about. And I think that's why there's a lot of flailing at the beginning of people's creative careers because they're like trying a bunch of different stuff to see which thing fits. Yeah,
0: I guess that makes sense because you're right. I mean, I would have never figured my exploration of the world and and what I want to say about it would manifest in this form.
1: Right? How could you? I mean, the the I mean, the form didn't even exist.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> you know, but um, but yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, like um, yeah, things like I feel like my path to. Maybe not to what I'm doing, like literally right now, with this, um, with the teaching of um, systems, but like what I've been doing the last whatever 15 years of um, teaching comics and writing about comics and writing comics and making comics, like it looks like like a path laid out with a ruler, you know, like it's such a straight path, and yet I could never have pictured where it was going, and I was on the other side of it, you know, before I got there.
0: Mm -hmm. that's really interesting because you know i went out of college thinking very much you know sort of straight and linear path mindset and i i've realized how untrue that is and yet i think the notion that our lives aren't linear and that there's going to be uncertainty causes people a tremendous amount of anxiety i know because it's caused me an immense amount of anxiety um I'm just curious, you know, what you have to say about that, given the length of your career and, and, and you know, the things that you've done and, and, you know, the people that you've been around.
1: I think it does cause an immense amount of anxiety. Um, and I think rightfully so in a sense, because the, you know, the choices are consequential. I mean, little things that you do experiments they're it's fine, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, you, know, you can play around a little bit here and there. But if you start like, really investing your time and your energy in something and it turns out something that you just don't want to be doing or you can't figure out how to make a living at it or whatever, I mean, that's, it's scary, you know? And there's also the functional problem of getting yourself, like figuring out how you're actually going to functionally make your work. Like how are you going to get yourself to sit down in the morning and get this stuff done? And I know you talk about this a ton with all kinds of different people who come on your show. Mm-hmm. It's our obsession, And, um, and I think it dovetails directly with this anxiety that we have about um, uh, where our path is headed. You know, it's all about uncertainty. Like we don't even know where our path is headed today, you know, much less in five years or 10 years or 15 years. And, and that's why people default to day jobs and to careers that are sort of have some kind of linear sense. And that's, I think, why a lot of people feel really a lot of anxiety about work in general right now is because even day jobs don't have that linearity anymore. Um, But, you know, we're not prepared for this. Nobody prepares you to figure all this stuff out on your own as you're growing up. I mean, sure, your parents are like, yeah, do, you know, follow your dreams, do whatever, you know, like I want, maybe some people's parents are anyway, but like, You know, the people in school say, well, what do you really want to do when you grow up? And you can, if you work hard, you can do it and so on. So there is a moment, there are moments as you're growing up where you're like having to think through what do you, what do you think you want to be doing? But it's just, I mean, you know, I want to be a fireman. I want to go to the moon. I want to, you know, all kinds of things come out in that kind of dreaming state when it comes down to brass tacks, like are you going to actually do this? Are you going to invest in your time and your energy um, in doing this thing? That's a whole other matter because you don't see the path between here and there. And so not seeing the path means you don't know if it's worth it to you to spend that that capital that you have on that effort. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Definitely. Like if the, the more vague the path is to between like me and successful author,
0: yeah,
1: the less it, likely it is. I'm actually going to start out on that path because I don't know that I can get there. Like I don't see, it's not clear, you know,
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Uh. Yeah. Well, and the odds are pretty staggering. I remember sitting down with my editor for the first time. I said, how many people get like how many of the thousands of blogs and projects online end up here um, getting to do this? And she said, it, it, the numbers are incredibly low. It's like one in five thousand or something ridiculous like that.
1: Well, that seems high to me. <laughs> okay, <That's, laughs> I mean, considering the number of blogs there are in the yeah, world,
0: yeah, yeah, may, may, maybe that is. Yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe that is high. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I
1: mean, but but and then, but I think you have to go a step further than that because I'm somebody who's been a published author now, yeah. you know, from major, major publishing companies for you know ten years, and um, I can get a book published. You know, if I, I have an agent, I can. If I have an idea, he'll find a way, you know, whether it's like going to be a good sale or not is another issue, but like, you know, we'll find a way. Um, I also know how to self-publish. You know, I have all these skill sets. doesn't mean I can figure out how to make that my life, you know, financially. Um, It's it's real iffy, you know. So like a lot of people focus on the get the book published part. Um, To me, that's the smallest part of the problem. Like then how do you keep going Mm -hmm. on this? And, and make it work long-term.
0: Yeah. I I would really love to hear about the conceptual story structure that goes into all these things that uh, have become sort of mainstays and, and sort of mainstream staples of our culture at this point uh, based on the, the background and perspective you have, and then, of course, talk about how we can apply some of those to our own work.
1: Uh, you mean the the radio shows? Yeah. Podcasts? Yeah. Okay, so so we're talking about uh, radio shows. And, I mean, when I talk about radio, I basically am including podcasts because they're very different in how they work. And yet, uh, you know, all all the shows that I uh, talked about in the book have podcasts or are podcasts, you know, one or the other. So, and also I think the word podcast is just so dumb. I just can't even... (laughs) (laughs) as a cartoonist, and we have like, we have always had the dumbest name of a medium, you know, movies, not great. Novel, something new. That's not great either. You know, like none, none of the names are really any good. Comics. It's not funny. Not very funny. Podcasts. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. So, um, when I say radio, I mean podcasts and let's just take it from there. Um, but so the basic, so the basic underpinning uh, or the basic kind of radio and podcasting that I talk about is what you call um, narrative journalism. And the reason it's called that is because it's not just – it's reported, generally speaking. Some of these things are memoirs or whatever. They're not reported. But for the most part, these are reported stories where there are interviews that go into them. There are facts. There's you know stuff like that. But it's then constructed or reconstructed into something resembling – a fictional story structure. So, um, when you think about, uh, Radiolab or this American life or 99% invisible, the moth, you know, these are shows, these are shows that are all in the book. They all have their best stories. Generally speaking, all have a central character who goes through changes and, um, and comes to some kind of real has, has realizations as a result of that. And the reason this is so powerful, this this approach is so powerful, is that it is um, it ties right into our basic uh, need for stories, just plain up, you know, straight up stories. But it also gives the listener an entry point into the ideas, um, either as a, you know, the character can be kind of stand in or avatar for the, for the the reader. I mean, the listener, or um, you can also, you know, depend on empathy and just depend on um, our curiosity and empathy, you know, about other people. And so that is the essential feature that makes these stories and these shows as gripping and compelling as they are um of course then they have to be good stories and told well but like at at the essential level it's the the difference between um most podcasts we listen to uh, most radio we listen to um is people talking about stuff without any structure these shows have incredibly thought through careful structure uh so that's number 1 um and then the, the book goes through several chapters, um, and I don't know if you want to like go through them. I mean, do you have questions about specific stuff? I, I'd like
0: to go through through sort of the, the step-by-step structure um, as deep as we can get without giving the entire thing away, if you can do that in the next 30 minutes, which I realize I, is a big question.
1: I can try. All right. <laughs> so the, the, in the book, I laid it out, um, and this is not necessarily how the producers themselves think about how they build these stories, but I laid it out conceptually, sort of in, in order of the elements that you need to make a great story. So first of all, you have to have a really good idea, right? And so um, there's always this question that comes up um, for fiction writers, and I think it comes up for for these producers as well, is like, how do you get your ideas? And basically the answer that I came up with, and and we haven't mentioned this yet, but I actually made my own podcast about the book, so getting super meta here, is, hmm. um, and the first episode, first two episodes of that, of my podcast are about this idea of like, how do you get ideas? And and the way I put it in the podcast um, is you pay attention to your attention. That's how you do it. You really try to uh, calm the inner critic who tells you you're an idiot when you think about whatever it is that you're interested in. You try to pay attention to the things like the anecdotes you're telling your friends, the things that you're thinking about in idle moments between other stuff. Um, What what are the stories or characters or topics or uh, news items or whatever it is that you keep coming back to? And you pay attention to that attention and you go deeper into it. So then you go into research. And this can be for fiction or nonfiction. It's the same same thing. You pay attention to what will feed you for long enough as a writer to um, to really uh, dig into it. And that's also how you get stuff that's original. Because even though if it's interesting to you, it's probably interesting to many people. You know, you may hit on a topic that's been covered many times before you as a unique individual will have your own take on it. And so you have to really like getting deep is the way you say something new. If you just kind of skim along the surface, you're not going to say anything new. So from there, um, there's, so once you have an idea that you, you feel like you are confident in that you've something that you've, spent some time with you done some research on you have kind of a a basic idea of the landscape of this idea then you start to give it some structure and this is where different producers really they go at it different ways like the i have a couple different structures that several producers have told me about um but for the most part i think people who are in this position of you know if they're producers at radiolab or something like that they mostly don't think about it in this like um formulaic kind of way. And in fact, everybody, most people I talk to, I'd say like, well, what do you think about the focus sentence? And they'd say, oh, that sounds okay, but it's not that simple. Like they just didn't (laughs) want to let me, you know, I was like, I know it's not that simple, but does it sound kind of right? And they're like, yeah, and it is right. Yeah, but it's not that easy. So um, the focus sentence, which I got from Rob Rosenthal at the Transom Story Workshop, which is a really um, excellent um, training program for narrative journalism producers, um, is someone does something because, but. And so the idea of, uh, the focus sentence is that you fill it in with your protagonist. Someone does something. So somebody in motion who has some kind of, um, role in the world and, um, they're doing that thing because of something and the, because is their motivation. Um, and then the, but is what stands in their way. And that's the heart of your story and then anybody who writes fiction will recognize this as essentially a narrative the, the basis of a narrative arc it's not a full narrative arc but it's like you know get to your inciting incident with that um and for nonfiction, it's the same thing like what you know an interesting story you know you can you can talk about a um like a gardener um who uh works in uh, municipal gardens or something like that. And that might be really interesting. you might be somebody who talks really interestingly, super great character, and you're really interested in this thing. But um, if you don't have the because and the but, you don't have much, you know? Why does he work in the gardens? Well, he works in the gardens because um, he has to be in fresh air for 12 hours a day or he gets ill. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like something off the wall and you're, you're to something like something a little bit unexpected and you really can, can get somewhere with it. Um, and, uh, and then there's another, uh, structure that is, um, that I learned from Alex Bloomberg, um, who's now of Gimlet media. But when I was doing the book, he was at planet money, um, which is the X, Y story formula. So the X, Y story formula is I'm doing a story about X and what's interesting about it is Y. um, Which is a much simpler approach, um, but is uh, more useful at this stage when you're dealing with idea-based nonfiction. You know, so if you don't have a central character to your story or you don't have a character yet, you don't know who the character is going to be, the XY story formula is going to be more useful. And what that does is it lets you say, I'm doing a story about um, a manufacturer of whiteboard pens, you know. Whatever, Like, it's a topic. It's a thing. And you could totally imagine a um, news item of three minutes, you know, on um, the, All Things Considered. It's like, oh, manufacturers. You know, things are booming because everybody loves whiteboards, blah, 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 you know, or some kind of whatever. Like, it's a topic. Um, but with the why, um, what's interesting about it is that's where you get to – the reason why you're going to tell this story, right? So you take the topic and you turn it one way or another and you try to figure out what makes this more than just a kind of like commodity news item. Um, You know, this manufacturer is the one who um, invented wipe off boards because he couldn't spell, you know, or like, um, I don't know, he needed to erase messages um, because he was a spy in the war. Uh, I don't know. You know. I'm making stuff up off the top of my head, but the point being that you you have to find that angle on the story that makes it more than just um, just the the topic, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's where most people stop is with the topic. Yeah. And in fact, I apply this all the time when I'm writing blog posts. Mm-hmm. I think about the X, Y, like most times when I'm writing a blog post. Like, okay, I'm writing a blog post about, um you know, how to break down your tasks into, you know, little, little bits. And what's interesting about it is that, um, breaking it down like this, it can, it seems like it's going to be a huge amount of work, but it makes everything super clear. Like you just, you don't know what you're doing until you, until you start doing that. And then I'm listening to this and myself say this and I'm going, that's not a good why. I think a better why than that. <laughs> And, you know, you have to rewrite it until you get it right. You know, you get the right thing. Yeah.
0: So two questions come from that. Um, one of the things I'm always interested in and in looking at is how one art form influences the other, especially people who have uh, done, you know, fairly deep work in two multiple art forms. So I'm curious how the, the comic and storytelling background has influenced your perspective on podcasting and vice versa.
1: Um, well, I think the... Uh, My doing the comics about radio um, and podcasting has been uh, very enlightening about what goes into that process Um, and uh, really has opened my eyes to what that, um, what it entails and how much thought goes into it. And then when I listen to the stories, you know, I just have a much more educated kind of appreciation for them. And that's been really great. But I've also thought a lot about the ecosystem of podcasting Mm -hmm. as a result of um, working on this book. And and it's a part of the book that kind of didn't make the book. You know, there was like a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about platforms and the difference you know, between different platforms, but it was so, it didn't fit the kind of overall approach of like storytelling secrets. It was kind of like a sideline. So it kind of just didn't happen, which is too bad because I really do feel like there, it, you know, there are significant differences between radio and podcasting, between podcasting and comics, between um, prose and comics, you know, there's all the different platforms They have an influence on the kind of stories they get told. So, you know, for example, in the kind of narrative um, uh, audio storytelling we're talking about, um, it excels in um, conveying emotion, for example, through voices. Um, It does not excel in conveying details. Um, Comics are excellent uh, in similar ways at um, conveying emotion and, um, lots of, lots of information through nonverbal storytelling. So, you know, through uh, what's in a scene and, and, and people interacting with the scene, people interacting with each other, facial expressions, those kinds of things. Um, again, comics, not excellent at a whole bunch of factual details. Um, and not, uh, you know, you could do it, but it's hard and it's, can be tough reading. Um, and uh, same with audio, you know, you can do it, but it can make for real tough audio. Um, and you know, just thinking about these different platforms and comparing them together, you know, um, what's there are many, many differences and many, you know, strengths that you know each each medium has its own strengths. But what's been cool for me is actually to kind of ignore that and just do it anyway, <laughs> you know, <laughs> translate from one to the other to the other, you know. So, like, I've actually taken, you know, audio and prose and converted it into comics in, in Out on the Wire and then taken Out on the Wire and converted it back into audio on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time new things come out, you know, and it becomes this kind of um, many-faceted um piece of, I don't know, there's just so much, there's so much richness in the different ways you can express something.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. It kind of reminds me of us taking segments of our interviews and translating them into animated shorts or, you know, know, visual things that, that we've done, which you you would have never guessed in a million years when we started that that's what would come out of them.
1: Yes. I mean, it's not necessarily like um, the most, it's not, it's not a logical you know, yeah. Next step, but it is a it, it does make sense. You know, like I in Out on the Wire, you know, there's sequences where I'm drawing audio stories. Like there's a sequence where I actually draw a Radio Lab story, and the point of the sequence is to talk about the sound effects. Yeah. Okay, that try to think about that for a second. The point <laughs> of this four-page sequence yeah. of drawn comics in black and white is to talk about sound effects. So yeah, it's um but I think it's successful. You know, it's, it, it expresses the sound effects in a really, um, uh, you know, at a, at a, at a gut sort of emotional level because of the way they're placed in the panel, because of the way the the drawing, you know, the drawing changes and you sort of, you can kind of, I'm expressing the internal state of the character that he's describing and that Jad described via sound. I'm describing it visually. You know, the best would be to like listen to it and read it at the same time. That would be that that would be the top. that would be that would that would really be making it
0: <laughs> So two final questions for you. Um, one is what you learned about mastery and success from working uh, closely with somebody like Ira Glass?
1: I think in general, what I've learned about Um, making the kind of work that we make is what I do, what he does is just, it's like this intense focus and, you know, it's grit. It's like you stick with it through the tough times, you know, um, the work is, it can be backbreaking. I mean, that's whatever. It's not (laughs) backbreaking. We're not minors. It's, it can be brain breaking. Let's put it that way. And it can be depressing. It can be so difficult. Um, but, you know, you just have to focus and keep going. You know, you just stick with it and keep keep making it happen. Um, and you have to keep doing that for so long. You know, people think that you can kind of shortcut to this stuff. I mean, there you can i and i absolutely i absolutely encourage this. you can make some comics and get them up online you know on Tumblr in like a week you can you can be a cartoonist you can make a mini comic in you know a month um and I think it's a great thing to do. it's absolutely awesome um, but you're not gonna be a great cartoonist until you've done that for several years uh maybe a lot of years, maybe never you know but Probably you're going to get there if you keep really chipping away at it. Um, but it could take a really long time. And you have to have that self-belief and you have to have that, you know, basically stubbornness, I think, to just get through it. I mean, Ira does this talk all the time where he he plays this one clip of himself when he was an NPR reporter when he was in his early 20s. Um, and he was doing this terrible little news clip Um and he makes fun of himself and whatever, and it's part of his his whole shtick about um, the gap. You know, he has this video on YouTube yeah. where he talks about the the, the creative gap. And um, Ira was, a, you know, even at a, as a very young man, was a you know incredibly creative and ambitious person, but he did not have the skill set. He had to build it, and it took years. Um, and he just did it anyway. So, you know, the people who I see who are um, incredibly successful at making their work, it's because they have focus and they um, have a kind of stubbornness and a kind of, like, unjustified optimism about where they're going to get with it, you know? I mean, initially unjustified, it's like, who knows what's going to happen, but they stick with it anyway. You know, you look at somebody like Stephanie Flew who is in out on the wire and just an amazing radio producer. And I just think she's so awesome. She's at uh, this American life now, but she used to be at snap judgment. And when she was at snap, she was like, she showed up at snap, um, as an intern at the age of 20 or something 20, I mean, she graduated from college, so maybe she was 21, with 20 story ideas, story pitches on the first day as an intern. Within, like, a week, she was making a story, even though it wasn't part of her job. And within three months, she was hired as a producer. And, you know, for, she, she did something like on the order of 180 audio stories in the three or four years she was at Snap. She was a machine, and now she is incredible. And she's only like 27 or something, you know, but she crammed it all in. Like for me, it took more like 15 years to get through that amount of stuff. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't have the amount of energy that she did. But um, you see that and you say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I don't want to discourage people who are trying to do this, though, because it doesn't take being an incredible Stephanie Fu mm-hmm. to get there. But you do have to um, build, you know, ways of um, – getting to work on a daily basis that are built around, um, your creativity built around the way that you work and the way that you think and, and you have to do it and you have to like stick with it.
0: Yeah. So I have one other question about this, that, that, that raised actually when you said that the unjustified optimism, uh, you think certain people just have that, uh, and that they come out of the gate with that, even when they start their work and certain people just don't,
1: Probably, yeah. I mean, I think probably there are certain people who do have that, and that's a it's a basic advantage. But I don't think that you you ha- that that's a prerequisite. Yeah. You know, I think that um, you know I'm working with people now um, in all different areas. I'm working with people who are um, cartoonists and and podcasters and novelists and you know all in you know, all these different creative areas and um, helping them put together their systems for making their work making you know actually getting the work done, um, on a regular basis. And, um, it's really interesting to me because people are so different, you know, everybody is so different. And like the, the, um, the things that they struggle with are not necessarily the things I struggle with. You know, I have that stupid op- optimism where I'm like, yeah, I'll just do it. I'm going to do that thing. <laughs> and then when I'm like halfway in it, I'm like, Oh geez, that was not a good idea. But, um, there are other people who they let it, many people, you know, they let that stop them just stop them cold. And so, um, you know, they need to build in more fail safes, you know, and you have to have this kind of individual system based on like who you are. Um, like if you're somebody who needs that kind of external validation, a lot of people are, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just is who you are and people feel super guilty about it. They feel like that's not okay to have this, um, need for, you know, external deadlines or external validation because they think it should come from within. Well, I mean, it'd be nice if it came from within. That would be handy. But if it doesn't, like, don't waste time beating yourself up about it. Just find a way to get it, you know, set it up somehow so that, like, somebody's waiting for you to turn something in or, you know, somebody's going to be there and say and clap their hands when you get the thing finished or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you need, you have to build around that.
0: So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Well, I knew you were going to ask me that question because I've listened to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what well, am I going to answer that? Because um, that's a tough one. It's yeah. really tough. Um, I feel like, um, you know, some of the stuff we were just talking about, the idea of, you know, intense focus and, um, Uh, you know, curiosity and openness to the world um, can make somebody um, unmistakable, somebody unforgettable, like somebody who's really, really curious and really just like wonders about the world and just wants to get engaged in it is somebody who I would find unmistakable. Um, They're the people I remember. You know, when I think of the word unmistakable, that's kind of what I mean is like, really memorable people that you, who stick with you, you know? Um, yeah. And that would stick with me. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that's reflected in the, in the great, um, report, the great producers that I talked to and also in, you know, other creative people that I've worked with, you can see it in people, you know, you see that spark in their eyes and like, they start talking about something and it just is like, it doesn't matter what they're interested in. You know, they're just way in and you just want to know about it. You want to know more. Um, and there's just this kind of like, I don't know, it's a sense of commitment, I guess, to, to what they care about, whatever that thing is. I mean, I can listen to people who I just completely disagree with. If they're super into it, it's interesting.
0: Well, uh, this has been really, really phenomenal. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your stories and your insights with our listeners here at the Unmistakable Creative.
1: Thanks for having me. It was really fun.
0: Yeah, my pleasure, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on the Unmistakable Creative.
1: Now, we've had hard things happen, and we've had glorious things happen. And we just try to be fully present every day and and not and and not take on a pitiful self-focused, narcissistic mindset and um, work hard at making sure we understand that in every obstacle is an opportunity.
0: Nancy Duarte joins us to talk about how to ignite change through speeches, stories, ceremonies, and symbols.
2: How up?